Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JustBaseball and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JustBaseball. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JustBaseball when you sign up. Disclaimer, BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Do we have anything to talk about today? Shohei Otani just signed his 10-year, $700 million contract, and we have Walker Bueller to come on and talk about it, and we're reviewing the AL East. Yeah, we have something to talk about, Jack McMahon. And Syracuse beat Georgetown by like 15. That was fun, Who too. Who cares? Shohei Otani signed a $700 million contract. How, how much money was the Louisiana purchase? Like, I just want to put this in perspective. Uh, $15 million he makes. <laughs> he's making, what, 5X that in a given year? <laughs> I saw a hilarious tweet that 10 years, $700 million should be a military defense contract, <laughs> not an MLB deal. He can buy 700 million McChickens. Foolish Baseball put it best. He beat Mike Trout's record-setting contract by adding A-Rod's record-setting contract. Unbelievable. Patrick Mahomes, the highest-paid player in the NFL, $450 million. Mike Trout, highest-paid contract in MLB history, 
426.5 million dollars. Aaron Judge, I think is the highest free agent contract because Mike Trout's was an extension at around nine years, 360 something million dollars. Shohei doubled Aaron Judge's contract. And we're going to talk about deferrals. We're going to talk about the tax implications. But can we just sit here and appreciate that this man almost made a billion dollars because he can hit and pitch and he's fast? Just putting this in in perspective, um, Shohei Otani just signed the contract with the most total money in the history of professional sports. It beats any soccer contract. It beats any Formula One contract. It beats any boxing contract. Um, Granted, those are a bit more concentrated, but $700 million is the most money committed to a single player over the course of a single contract in the history of sports. Now, in terms of AAV, Cristiano Ronaldo just signed with Al Nasser in the Saudi League a couple of years ago. It was a two and a half year deal at $214 million a year. So we'll, we'll let him do that. Kareem Benzema, also same thing. Saudi League, $214 million a year. What's going on with soccer? What What are they Oil saying? Oil money, man. Uh, Lionel, no Messi, Lionel Messi in Barcelona. So the non-Saudi example, four-year deal worth $674 million. So an average of $168 million. After that, Canelo Alvarez signed a five-year boxing deal with DAZN, D-A-Z-N, at $73 million a year. Giannis's AAV is $62 million a year with the Bucks in his new contract. He signed, what, three years? Starts in 2025. So 25 through 28, it's a three-year, $186 million deal. So he'll make an average of 62. So Otani, by AAV, beats out... Or, is beat out, beats out everybody except Cristiano Ronaldo, Kareem Benzema, Lionel Messi, and Canelo Alvarez. And he got a 10-year deal. So he got more total money than any of them. So basically, we have to go find deals signed by Russian oligarchs to find contracts bigger than Shohei Otani. Correct. Tell me baseball is dead when the highest paid player in Major League Baseball right now makes $70 million a year. Now, deferrals, we don't have exact figures yet, but it's backloaded so the Dodgers can make more moves. Obviously, they want to build around Shohei Otani, but we also have our thumbs up our butts because you and Aram were fully on the Giants to sign Otani train, and I had a conspiracy theory that he was taking so long, like the comfort of Anaheim, that he was going to back to the Los Angeles Angels, and of course he went with the favorite. Of course he went with the Dodgers, where every other show was just saying, yeah, he's going to be a Dodger. We were trying to be cool. Jack, we do not look very cool right now. Credibility out the window. Credibility out the window. Uh, This tweet from Heyman is the best. Word from one of the Otani finalists, I assume executives or, you know, maybe GMs of of Toronto or the Cubs or whatever, quote, we certainly were not at 699. <laughs> we thought we were going crazy with a $560 million deal. Like 700 broke my brain when I saw it. But we're done talking about Shohei. We got to get the ace of the Dodgers on to talk about Shohei. Cool. Yeah. Ace of the Dodgers should probably talk about Shohei over us who predicted him to other teams with the ace of the Dodgers on this podcast every week. Whatever. Don't care. <laughs> Deferrals, schmeferrals. Uh, here's Walker Bueller talking about his new teammate that happens to be an alien life form and Babe Ruth combined. So anything you want to talk about in particular, Walker Bueller? 
I told you guys, $35 million pitcher, $35 million hitter. Yeah, quick quick addition off the dome. <laughs> wow. Tried to tell you. Man. What would you do? You've $700 million contract. What's the first thing you buy? Oh, I got a list. I've had a list for a long time, but I don't think I'll ever make $700 million, so maybe a little little short list compared to his, but I don't yeah. know. So I don't I, know what I the know- first thing It'd be a lot. The first day would be fun. I, I know, Peter, look, you floated this question, right? What would you have to do in 2024 to be a $700 million player? Ooh. I mean, I think it'd have to come with some sort. I'd have to, like, invent something, the iPhone. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I, don't, I, I think at, uh, at this current point in my life, that's that's impossible. What if... And it's not impossible. 400 strikeouts. You beat Nolan Ryan's record of 383. Uh-huh. You throw about 25 no-hitters. And then the rest are just kind of complete games. You throw uh-huh. around 350 innings, 400 Ks. Uh-huh. I mean, you're getting close there. Sounds like a nice career. <laughs> it's a good career. And I think that's only like, that might be fewer than 10 Ks per nine. So you got to up that number too. Um, now time for the exact introduction. Walker Buehler talking about his new teammate, Shohei Otani, who just signed a 10 year, $700 million contract over the off season. We, we walked through it in the intro. It is the largest contract ever signed by a professional athlete. There have been higher concentrations of money like Cristiano Ronaldo in Saudi Arabia and Benzema in Saudi Arabia. And then Messi in uh, Barcelona and then Canelo Alvarez too. I know you're a, you're a boxing UFC guy, but uh-huh. $70 million deferrals, all that aside, it's, it's a Blanton's day, dude. Like, I don't know if you're <laughs> drinking, but if this isn't a Blanton's day, there's no day that's a Blanton's day. No. Yeah. It's up there. I, I, I think we made a grave, grave mistake in choosing Sundays for this thing. Cause Sunday is supposed to be my, you know, calm, calmest day of the week. So I'm taking it easy tonight, but we should have done these on like Fridays, but then we wouldn't have this news. So Mm -hmm. double-edged sword. I have to ask too, um, because you've been around when the Dodgers have added big time players and that has to just inject something in the locker room. It's beyond just what Shohei is going to bring to the field. Like when all the Dodgers first hear the news, what are the group chats like? Like, what is the communication like? Are you guys just all on a big-time FaceTime just screaming at each other? What was it like for the Dodgers? I know you're not in the clubhouse because we're right. obviously in the offseason, but these group chats, they've got to be just nuts. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our group chat, I think, focused on what what kind of car Joe Kelly was going to ask for, <laughs> um, which I respect. Uh, I texted Joe and asked him if he was going to rock 99. I know he has some ideas, but... He seemed to like 99 as well. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. Uh, but yeah, we're talking Lamborghini or Ferrari or, you know. He's going to get a 2017 Volkswagen Jetta and Joe Probably. Kelly's going to wear number 59 and he's going to like it. Yeah. 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 I think we have a 59. Is Evan Phillips 59 or am I completely off on that? I'll tell you right now. Um, but where were you when you found out? Like, obviously the group chat was going crazy, but your immediate reaction. I was I was sitting on my couch in my apartment and I got a text. I didn't even see it on Twitter. I got a text that just said 700 question mark. And yep. I let that sit for two minutes. I was like, I don't know what that means. And then I went on Twitter and I was like, oh my God, that happened. He did that. That's a real number. And like, there are that many dollars in this country. Um, 
what was your immediate reaction to that, knowing that he's your teammate now and and that number coming in for a professional athlete? Yeah, well, I mean, I threw a couple of tweets out. That was pretty soon after I'd found out um, about his dog's name, and I'm going to find out for everyone. Uh, I'm still leaning towards Walker, but we'll see. Um, no, it's just, I mean, there's, there's never really been anything kind of like it, right? Nobody's, you know, he's the biggest free agent in sports ever. So when he lands with your team, it's just kind of confusing and not confusing, but like, well, you know, we got 700 million to, to spend on a guy, but at some point, like there's never been anyone like him. And, and I said it last time I was on, like he does both at a really, really high level and, and, you know, his background and, and kind of the hype around him in the World Baseball Classic and, you know, geographically us closest to Japan, like a lot of it makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, I think it's pretty cool. The the reports that are coming out of, of you know, obviously the, the deferrals is something that people don't really think about too much. And, and there's all these things about, oh, he's going to make, you know, $700 a second or whatever the, the thing is. But for him to to kind of take a step back, defer some money, get the luxury tax stuff to, to kind of ease the burden and, and uh, of, you know, the burden of making $70 million on a payroll to, to really try and win. I think, yeah, obviously, you know, I bet the second offer wasn't 699 million. Right. But um, it also kind of shows what, what he wants out of, out of playing with our team. And the reason he made $700 million is because he can hit and pitch. And as a pitcher right. yourself, obviously Shohei is not going to be able to pitch this year because of TJ yourself coming off TJ. When you first meet him, have you thought about what kind of that first conversation with you guys is going to look like? Yeah, I don't I don't really know. I'm, I think I'll probably see him at, at the stadium at some point before we all head out to, to Phoenix, but you know, I've, I've met him a few times just kind of in passing. And um, first off, I don't think people realize how big he is. Like, I think that was the that was the first thing when I met him. I was like, oh, my God. Like, uh, but no, I mean, I, I, you know, having gone through it and, and kind of, you know, believing I'm on the other side of, of the second one, I, I think, um, you know, hopefully I can I can help in some way or, or whatnot, especially you know, my first surgery lasted seven, eight years or whatever it was. And, and his obviously didn't last quite as long. So, um, you know, hopefully we can, you know, our medical staff first off, but, but myself as well, kind of help him through that a little bit and, and get him back to, to what he's obviously shown he can do. Uh, real quick, Evan Phillips is number 59. Nailed it. Kelly's going to be 53. I think 53 is okay for him. Is that okay? Cool that's you? what you're going for. Yeah, you're going for 99, which has a little bit more personality. I'm thinking, hey, just like drift into obscurity a little bit. You went from Otani's number to 53. What's going right. on? There? Um, That's a subtle move. Yeah, right. I will say uh, I'm very happy for you that you get to be Shohei Otani's teammate, but more layered here. I'm very happy for you to have brainstorming sessions with this guy. Because if there's anything that I've learned, what Peter's learned, what any listener has learned it's that you think about this shit all the time and you are constantly trying to push how much you know, the information that you possess. And the thing that I, I think players have always respected maybe most about Shohei Otani is that guy's ability to recover. 
nobody recovers like that cat. He throws 110 pitches and then he hits a nuke the next day. Uh And I can't wait because you've been on, I guess, the forefront of you've got a cold tub in your house, right? Right. You're always thinking about that. So when you think about just having brainstorming sessions with maybe the best recoverer that we've seen in sports, what jumps to your mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I think of it more so as the the cultural difference, right? And and how they developed and how, you know, in Japan, the, the system for developing players is so different and and kind of, you know, we talked about the reps and all the stuff that they do over there and, you know, all of their ability to manipulate the baseball and things like that. I, you know, we had you Darvish when, when I first got called up and, you know, we had a few conversations, but just talking with him about how he thinks about throwing the ball and, and how he makes the ball spin and certain things like that. Um, you know, I think the more angles you can cover of figuring out how to make a ball do certain things, the the better you'll be at it. And so, you know, for me, that's, that's probably the biggest thing, but, um, yeah, I mean, as I said, I, you know, I hope kind of my experience going through the, the surgery twice can help him. And, and obviously, you know, we all can learn something from him. Literally everyone on our team can, because he does everything. So, um, It'll be fun. I mean, I, I don't know if there's ever really been, you know, assuming or hoping that Kirsch comes back. You're talking at least four current, like, probably first ballot Hall of Famers on one team. Yeah. Pretty good. Which is pretty wild. I don't, I'm kind of curious. I guess the Yankees are the ones that I would think about that would have had more. But first ballot, like, Maris isn't a Hall of Famer because it was Mantle, it was you know Whitey. Oh, I'm talking, I'm talking like yeah, Murderers my, Row, my childhood Yankees. Oh, your childhood yeah, Yankees, like Jeter and Mariano. Those are the only yeah. like first ballot Hall of Famers. I mean, A Rod yeah. put together a first ballot true career, but and then you could say Clemens, I guess, but yeah. no, but yeah, they had that level of talent. Yeah, huh. interesting. I'm also um, curious. I just do want to know in spring training when maybe it's even next year, what you think that maybe you can bounce off him from the pitching side, watching him on the pitching side, and then something that maybe you can talk to him that you've developed on the Dodgers side, because what do we know about the Los Angeles Dodgers? They are the ultimate pitching lab. So is there something that you see when he's pitching that you're like, Hey, I could probably give him a pointer. And then something that he does where you're like, I got to pick his brain about that. No, you know what? I, I think people probably think we see the Angels play a lot more than we do. And, you know, I, I think they're probably the team that I get to watch the least because we're usually playing at the same time. So, you know, I've seen a lot of highlights, obviously, and, and kind of sports center version, but I I still don't think I've ever seen him throw in person. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see, like, when he's building up, where he's at. I, you know, I think – some of the stuff with recovery that I ended up dealing with at the end of the year was just some mental issues on how you're throwing through rehab and kind of not throwing, you know, throwing for it, not to hurt and stuff like that. And, and then you ramp up and you're just kind of not ready for it. So, you know, I think for me, that'll be like the biggest, biggest thing that I'll talk to him about. But um, yeah, I mean, physically he's just kind of differently gifted, but you know, I, I know, in his first rehab, it was kind of well-known how much stronger he got and how much bigger he got. So that's always kind of stuff that that I want to see how other guys do it. And, um, you know, not to keep bringing up the cultural differences and stuff, but, 
like they do work out differently and train their bodies differently and things like that. And, um, you know, his ability to play however many games a year he plays and pitch however many, like there is something to how he's training and, and, you know, the, the light, not the life, the routine of like an everyday position player versus a starting pitcher is so different in terms of what we do in the weight room, the level of exertion, the, the, you know, how heavy we lift compared to the the position guys get really strong in the off season. They just kind of try and maintain it as long as they can. And, and we're kind of bebopping every five days. So, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm just intrigued really more than anything. I like bebop as a verb. What is it? That's a good one. What does it mean? Like what's the definition of bebop? You don't know what bebop means? Not really. It's kind of like bounce around, you know, you bebop around. I had no idea. I know how it's spelled because I think it was the title of like a Netflix show, B-E-B-O-P, but yeah, no yeah, idea. Yeah, I mean, like you're, if you're running errands, you know what I mean? You're bebopping around town. Gotcha. You're bebopping. Right. I, I have another question about how Shohei handled his free agency decision. I really want to ask a player in particular, especially someone who is due to be a free agent next year, because we heard, you know, from big time media reporters that they were underwhelmed because they wished that this free agency decision, that it was almost like LeBron's where there's a TV station, there's all this different stuff. I think from our perspective, we were saying whatever Shohei wants, Shohei Mm -hmm. should do. Like we shouldn't be on the forefront saying he should do something that's better for the media. (laughs) Right. Right. Like that doesn't make any sense. But at the same time, I know a lot of fans were left thinking, Hey, we just want more. We respect his decision. We just want more out of Shohei because he did sign a $700 million deal. The dude could buy 700 million McChickens. Right. So what was your kind of perspective of the way he operated ending with the low res image of the Dodgers yeah. logo that got like a trillion likes on his own right. Instagram? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think first off you have to like respect his privacy and, and seemingly like, you know, I've heard really, really good things about him as like a teammate and a person, but you know, at least with the media, he, he's been very, you know, tends, leans towards shy or, or more, um, you know, private. And so thinking you're making a decision like that and, and something that obviously has the implications you're talking about, but also the next 10 years of his life and where he's going to live and, and all of that. Like when you layer that on top of when he won the MVP sitting on a couch at his house with his dog, like, I, I just think it seems very much him. And, and I think, um, you know, I get it. And I understand why people would want him in particular to be really like loud about it or, or kind of, you know, advertise where he's going to visit and stuff like that, because he is kind of a, you know, one of the few like global baseball players, right. In that, that, you know, it wasn't just LA that's excited. Like it, it was LA, it's Japan, it's across the country. Everyone's following it. There's Canada was involved, right? Like everyone was involved in this thing. And so, I can get it from that perspective, but you know, at the end of the day, if it was going to make him uncomfortable with not only our team, but you know, this process and, and everyone, you know, we've heard a lot of guys talk about, we all play to get to free agency and then we get there and it's awful. Right. And so, you know, I, I'm sure no part of, of getting 700 million was really awful for him. Right. But, you know, at some point you, I think you just kind of have to handle it, with, you know, in your own way. What and I think about it. I was just going to say, I think about it like this too. Yeah. Was it great for the media? Maybe not, but pretty good for him. We talked about how right. the second place person wasn't at 699 million. Right. So 
if we're talking about how did Shohei do it for himself, right? Seven hundred million dollars. <laughs> yeah. I think it worked out all right. Nuts. Well, and I think it's also probably exhausting. And I'm sure that, you know, you can attest to this. And hell, I think anybody listening to this show can attest to it because when you're a senior in high school, every conversation is, hey, do you know where you're going to school yet? Um, do you know what you're doing after graduation? That guy, you never heard a public statement from him from the last right. Angels game until now. And he's all anybody wanted to talk about. And it was global news when he posted on Instagram, which is just right. fascinating. I love um, it. You've got six top 100 players by fan graphs in your lineup. And I'm just going to run through the lineup and you tell me if it's the best since the big red machine, because I think it might be. <laughs> Mookie Betts, Shohei Otani, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Max Muncy, James Altman, Chris Taylor, Jason Hayward, Gavin Lux. Is that the best lineup since the big red machine? I don't know. I mean, I, you know, certainly on paper, it's it's got to be up there, right? Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty damn good. Yeah. So I posted on Twitter, um, and with all due respect to Gavin Lux and Jason Hayward and these guys, because they're all good baseball players, but I did post the top five in your guys' lineup from Mookie down to Max Muncie, and then I said six to nine, who gives a shit? And basically what I meant by that is it is such an incredible first five, but what would your response be to Braves fans who are in my DMs and my comments basically saying, you don't know ball, the Braves are way better? <laughs> Listen, I, I don't think I really have the track record to say much about Atlanta. Um, they've done some really um, unkind things to me at Truist Park. So um, they have a fantastic lineup. I do think kind of what we're talking about in, in terms of the Hall of Fame caliber. Now they've got some guys that probably are going to get in the Hall of Fame themselves and, um, you know, obviously an MVP. So a couple of them over there. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're excited about about our team, I guess, is, is where I'll kind of leave that one. I'm just so excited for that rivalry. It's going to be awesome. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This kickstarts, I think, the remainder of free agency. And we were waiting for the big dominoes to fall. And we talked about this last week when you when you hopped on. And we talked about it through the lens of Kevin Kiermeyer, who said he was waiting for Shohei to set the market. And then, you know, everything's going to figure it out after that. And we kind of went through how the big domino falls and then every other domino can fall after that. So Sonny's off the board. It, do you think it makes sense that we expect a lot of action in the next week or two? Like pre-Christmas, you're going there with some more clarity on who your favorite team has. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of the expectation, right? You get to winter meetings, get through them, then it kind of gets going or gets going to winter meetings. And and this year, obviously, being a little bit different just with, with Shohei going through this. But um, yeah, I mean, I think things have to start falling into place you hear a lot of you know i'm seeing a lot of stuff on on twitter or whatever or on x or whatever it's called now um 
you know, GM's talking about now we got to pivot or, or we're looking at a bunch of different stuff and, and whatnot. So, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of puzzle pieces will be put together in the next couple of weeks, I would think. There was a move that came in uh, that I did want to ask you about Tyler O'Neill going to the Boston Red Sox um, because you faced him a couple of times. Um, what did you think about that move? Right. You got a yeah. high powered outfielder who's been kind of up and down, either looks like an MVP candidate or, you know, he's struggling. What did you think about that move? Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, the green monster and right-handed power hitters kind of, you know, go together and, you know, big pull in the air guy. So, you know, a lot of that makes sense. And, uh, you know, the, the Verdugo move was kind of surprising, but, you know, those two together, I guess, you know, somehow makes sense. And, um, yeah, he's just been a guy that's had a, had a hard time being healthy a lot, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't talked since Soto, by the way, how'd you feel about the Soto thing? I I saw it. My, my favorite, I think thing from all that was, Preller and the rest of the Padres front office was at a scouts dinner. So it was holding up like the, the finalization of that trade for five, six hours, I want to say, but it was okay. It's happening now. Is it not happening? But like, yes, it's happening. We just got to get through the paperwork. It was a relatively quiet winter meetings, but it resulted in one of the best hitters that we've got moving to the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I also saw some stuff that he's like had an affinity for New York for a long time. And, yeah. you know, I think part of it is just that he was traded, what, two years ago now? So, like, it's not the first time that he's been moved. You know, I think quiets it down a little bit. Obviously, it's a huge move. And, um, you know, New York's going for it this year. I know Cole has like a looming opt out as well. So, um, you know, I, I don't think New York ever has like a ticking clock on them. They're they are the Yankees, but you know, when you land a guy like Garrett Cole and then you haven't made the run that you you know wanted to make or or whatnot, you, you start kind of trying to to stack the deck a little bit. And and I think that you know Juan Soto is definitely one of those one of those top five ten players in baseball. So um, yeah, big move for them. But no, I agree. It was it seemingly a little quieter than than you would think it would have been but you know i think that's his personality too the way that shohei's kind of private ones not not unflashy as a player right like he's got some flash to what he does but i don't think he's been like really out like brazen in the media you know so yeah. um i think it it kind of fit as well what should yankee fans expect when they get Juan Soto? because we know how good he is and as a guy who's oh. faced him right once it was only two for 10 off you. So you've had his number a little bit. So what's kind of the scouting report going into a game against Juan Soto? Like how have you been consistent against him? Because, you know, he's routinely compared to guys like Ted Williams, but the Yankees have seen a lot of good players. So I'm very curious about what type of hitter you think the Yankees are getting. Yeah. I mean, it he's, he's what you look for in modern baseball, right? It's power with, with extreme discipline and um you know he's just a guy that's most really disciplined guys you feel like are not on go right like they're kind of think it's a ball until they swing kind of thing but he's not like that he just ends up walking a lot and he's super disciplined but if you miss if you miss in the wrong place like he's gonna go and and he's gonna hit it hard and um you know just makes it tough you know we have max muncie who's similar profile obviously 
you know, the average has a little bit of difference, but you know, I've faced max and lives and stuff. And it's the same feeling of, of like, if this ball isn't perfect, like he's going to get his a swing off. And if it's not a strike, he's not going to swing. And, and it's just a different thing. Like when you face free swinging guys, you kind of know, okay, I can't make a mistake in the middle, but I can kind of get away with some things. And, and these guys that are, you know, super, super high discipline, super walk rate with real power, you know, are, are probably most guys would tell you typically the hardest guys to, to face because there's another layer of he won't chase this. So I have to make such a good pitch in the zone if I want to get a swing and miss or get him off the barrel or whatever. Um, you know, I think he's flied out to the warning track like four times off of me too. Yeah, but, but that's four outs. And you also punched nope. him out three times for a guy who doesn't really strike out. So how do you strike out one soda? I don't know. It's been so long, man. <laughs> uh, last thing for me, what's what's the update on you? What's going on uh, in your life right now? I see a lot of farm pictures. Are you ATVing? Yep. Like what's what's on the docket every day? Yeah, we, we zoom around out there. We're doing a little little duck hunting here and there. Uh, we're not in town super a lot much longer. We go to LA near the end of December. So get through Christmas and, and head out to LA for, for a month or so and then get ready for spring. But, um, yeah, just trying to get some time, time out at the farm, you know, do this little podcast with you clowns and, and then get out of here. Hey, we, you're not contractually obligated to show up every week, you know, right? (laughs) Calling it little is so disrespectful. But clowns, I thought, was the disrespectful one. Um, hey, do you think Beryl Bueller and Walker Otani are going to get along in the outfield grass at Dodger Stadium, or do you think Beryl is yeah. a, a contentious dog? No, Beryl, Beryl will like uh, like a little Walker. What I don't know what kind of dog that is, but he'll go along with him. Yeah, I love that we're just naming him Walker now. Yep. So you're going to tell him to change the name if it's not Walker, right? Oh Lord! All right. You are the man. Uh, appreciate you, Peter. Anything else you got for him? Nothing. I'm just excited to see where uh, the rest of the free agents go because with the deferrals, maybe the Dodgers are loading up on more. Yeah, I don't think we're done. Oh, ho, ho. all right, Walker, you're awesome, man. Talk to you soon. All right, see you guys. Before we get to the review of the American League East, remember we are brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account using promo code JustBaseball. Download the BetMGM sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if it loses. And if that bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Must be 21 or older. And terms and conditions apply. The American League East, when we did our over-under win totals at the beginning of the season, Jack, I think I did a lot better on the American League East. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because I shit the bed on basically every other division, so I have to take my victory lap when I can get it. Didn't I suck on the American League East? I don't have it in front of me. You have it in front of you. Uh, If I have it in front of me, I'll bring it up. Um, Just stall and talk about how the Yankees got one Soto. Did you know they got one Soto? The Yankees got one Soto. uh, Tampa looked injury in the eyes about 40 times this past year, and they still somehow surpassed uh, their projected win total. Toronto kind of shit the bed, which was fascinating. And Boston, I have no idea how to evaluate Boston. I think we're going to know how to evaluate Boston within the next two weeks. You're going to know when you're sitting around for Christmas Eve dinner and your grandpa asks you, hey, what do you think 
the Red Sox are going to be like in 2024? You say, well, pop, pop, I have the answer for you. Just eat a little bit more of your, what, the cream of spinach soup? Is that what old people eat? Cream of spinach soup? No, I think it's just cream of spinach. No, I Maybe think there's there, what you're going for. No, there's cream of mushroom. Um, I know there's cream of mushroom. Cream of wheat. Enough of the mushrooms. Let's talk about the Baltimore Orioles. 77 and a half was their projected win total. Yeah, they went over that. 101 and 61. First place in the American League East. What a season. Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, and Arm and I had the over, but one Jack McMullen had the under. Speak there is, yourself. yeah, there is such thing. Cream of spinach soup. I found a recipe on Simply Recipes. I want you to stop stalling, please. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Kyle Bradish was going to be that good. I didn't okay. know Tyler Wells was going to be that good before the break. I didn't know that Kyle Gibson was going to be reliable. I didn't know that Yenier Cano was going to be this. Frankly, I didn't know that Tony Taters was going to be Tony Taters or Anthony Santander was going to be Tony Taters. Things went so well for them. And I'm not saying it was luck. I'm saying I underestimated the talent level with some of their guys. And I, I think I'm the Shaq to Christian Wood. I apologize. I wasn't familiar with your game in, in particular regards to Kyle Bradish. I didn't know that Kyle Bradish had this in it. And that slider is an all-star slider. We saw that this year. He had a sub three ERA and he spun people to death. Did the fastball have issues? Yes. But guess what? He got through the 2023 season without needing to rely on his fastball at really any moment. So I think I looked at this team and said, okay, G-Rod is the best starter they have. Is a guy going to make his big league debut on opening day as the opening day starter? And I think that's where I I dinged them, and I shouldn't have dung them or dinged them. Dung doesn't sound right. I think with the Orioles, right, we look at Dean Kramer. We look at Kyle Bradish at the beginning of the season, Kyle Gibson. and We laughed. We, we laughed. We simply laughed. And that's the thing is what I learned when I did the Cardinals review about them getting Lance Lynn and getting Kyle Gibson. Like those names are so unsexy, but if they can keep you in the ball game and you have such a sound team everywhere else, that's how you're going to consistently win games. And that's what the Orioles were just sound in every aspect of the game. They were a good defensive team. Now they finished 14th in OPS among all major league teams, which puts them right around the middle. But I kind of don't believe that's one of those numbers that, you know, Peter Vision had them higher. Uh, starting pitching, 11th in ERA, bullpen 5th in ERA. What I will say is, um, and not to your credit because you were under 77 and a half, but if you did flip those one-run game results, they would have finished 87 and 75. So they did get lucky in that aspect. But at the same time, it's hard to call it luck when the bullpen was so locked down. It yeah. stunk when Felix Bautista went down. But they just flipped Yanir Cano right in there. Right. Shintaro Fujinami came into that bullpen and did well. Right. They Danny Colum. They had Sinel Perez and Mike Bauman. They had Jacob Webb. They had a lot of solid contributions in the bullpen. It did feel that if the starter gave them five innings, two to three runs, they were going to win the ball game because they were going to score four. And then the door would be shut with that bullpen. So 
so I was trying to say like, oh, well, even Fuji had a resurgence. Fuji didn't have a resurgence. He had a four nine with them. Um, yeah, but he was really good there for like three weeks. And I felt like the three weeks was all they needed. And then he had a couple blowups. He was way better than the four nine, I would say, from Peter Vision. Yeah, but Fuji still wasn't that good. Uh, yeah, I will but say who this. cares? He was like the third inning guy. Like he was just a throw in. I will say this, even without the best closer in baseball, even without, for my money, the best relief pitcher in all of baseball in Felix Bautista in 2024, pitchers and catchers are going to report in mid to late February. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to look at the projected starting rotation and it's going to line up like Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, John Means, Dean Kramer, and Tyler Wells. Okay, and I'm going to like it. Yep. If you gave this to me last year, I wasn't going to like it but I like it now. That's what 23 did for me. One positive, one negative quickly before we move on to the next team. One positive, Gunnar Henderson. I oh mean, my God. Adley Rushman, of course, four and a half win season. It's just like he brings his lunchbox to work and he's going to turn in a four and a half win season. And honestly, I would give him more because he is so conducive to winning baseball. Love Adley Rushman, but Gunnar Henderson in the mid sixes, the defense, the offense, and it started with a slow April and then he just kicked it in gear. Orioles fans, you got Adley, you got Gunner. What a core nucleus to build around. However, the negative, really disappointed in Cedric Mullins this year. I mean, Cedric Mullins was objectively one of the worst players on their offense. And he wasn't that bad. That's how good the Orioles were. Calm down, Orioles fans. I got you. I'm comparing him to your other players, right? Austin Hayes was great. Anthony Santander, Adley Rutschman, Gunner, Ryan Mountcastle, right? To even talk about all the rookies that came up. But Cedric Mullins is supposed to be the glue guy. And at the end of the day, slash 233, 305, 416, 15 bombs and 19 steals. We need way more from Cedric Mullins. Way more. Yeah, I will say I'm I'm a little disappointed that Kowser didn't make his case to stay. And I thought Kyle Stowers was going to be a big league bench bat, but Stowers wasn't good enough when he was in the bigs. Um, I think Mullins is the answer here because this guy needs to slug way higher than 416. He can't be a 230 hitter. Just can't be. Um, he provides enough defensive value. I think he's going to make a team very happy moving forward. He's 29 years old. He hits the open market after the 25 season. If you deem Stowers ready, why don't you just do it? Like, why don't you just rip the Band-Aid off and trade, or not Stowers, if you deem Cows are ready. Why don't you just rip the Band-Aid off and move Mullins? Yeah, why don't the Orioles go sign a big free agent or trade for one? I, we're always left. Trade for question. a pitcher. I think Cedric yeah. Mullins' return with prospects, obviously, can can get them a top-flight starting pitcher. Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Listen, uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, I don't mean yeah. to demean them. They had an amazing season. They're going to be in the talks to win the division next year. They're still loaded, Grace in a full year, but at the same time, they need to make that big move. And I think all Orioles fans can agree with that. You need to make the big move. Yep. Tampa Bay Rays, win total, beginning of the season, 88 and a half. Clean sweep from the boys. Jack, Arm, and I all had the over, and they finished 99 and 63 which is a classic raise season and if you flip those one run games 102 and 60 so you could consider them a little bit unlucky the tampa bay rays just did it again jack doesn't really matter who's on the team doesn't really matter if their shortstop goes down for circumstances that i'd rather not discuss mm -hmm. as an offense fourth in ops 
from the rotation. You can only name a couple of them, but the way they piece it together, starting pitching fifth in ERA. From the bullpen, 12th. And the bullpen is a lot better than 12th. It's just that they had to log so many innings. I look at a rotation that I think that might have been none of our concern at the beginning of the year, right? Shane McClanahan, Springs, Rasmussen, Glasnow, Eflin. And we say to ourselves, all they have to do is hit to get here. But the reality is they didn't barely had any of them. Springs goes down. Rasmussen goes down. McClanahan goes down. And then we're left with Glasnow, Eflin, Zach Littell at the end. Remember, they traded for Aaron Savali, but they still pitched their way. And then, of course, the offense was excellent. Yandy Diaz is just a freak of fucking nature. Randy is still that guy. Josh Lowe, Isak Paredes with 30 bombs, right? Brandon Lowe. I mean, we could just, I'm just listing all the names because all of them contributed. There wasn't one star on this team. It reminded me of a Belichick-led team a couple of years ago, even though Brady is the star, everybody doing their jobs. Yeah, I think the two biggest surprises for me was Josh Lowe across a full season sample. This guy was awesome across a full season. It was an 835 OPS, was it not? Yeah, 835 OPS, 335 OBP, 500 slugging percentage. Yeah. Yeah. Josh Lowe doing that was not on my bingo card. And I remember genuinely feeling that a couple weeks into the season, Zach Eflin was going to be the six. He was going to be the long man in the pen. I was like, why did they pay $40 million for this guy? Because it was glass now coming off the IL. I think it was an oblique thing at the end of spring, but then it was McClanahan springs Rasmussen um, glass. Now, eventually when he came back and then I was thinking it was going to be Taj Bradley. But the fact that Eflin is the only guy to make more than 21 starts for them, and he had a 3-5, and he walked 1.2 hitters per nine. Are you kidding me? And he won 16 games, and he threw 178 innings. This guy exceeded any realistic expectation I had for him. And Josh Lowe exceeded any realistic expectation I had for him. Yandy, I think we knew that he could be one of the more feared hitters in baseball. Randy, we knew that could come. Paredes is up there because I didn't know that Paredes was going to be a 30 homer guy, but Paredes had had shown flashes of the top prospect that he once was. Um, but man, Lowe pumping out in 835 OPS and Eflin doing what he did were the two things that I think catalyze this team's success one positive one negative i thought luke Rayleigh was so good this year Remember he was from the dodgers 29 year old i think technically he was a rookie we were always wondering what was his status was it a rookie was it not it didn't matter he didn't have much you know mlb service time before reaching the rays and i just thought he was such a dangerous hitter all year slugged 490 333 on base percentage 19 bombs and also added 14 stolen bases the reason I say that's a positive, of course, you could say Randy. Of course, you could say Yandi. There's plenty of guys to say there, but I just thought Luke Rayleigh being that guy hitting third in that lineup for a good chunk of time was such a positive. And I don't want to get into the negative, but the negative is clearly Wanda Franco. And we still don't know the full extent of the story because what we do here on the Just Baseball Show, all off the field stuff, you guys know. We're always asked, what about Trevor Bauer? What about Julio Arias? What about all these guys? We just don't like to talk about it. 
We like to talk about what's on the field, and until we have all the information, then we'll sort of mention it. We're just not the podcast to get into that kind of stuff. We focused on what is on the field. And if you don't like it, I don't know what to tell you. We don't talk politics. We don't talk any of that kind of stuff. It's just what's on the field. I don't know. We talked oil money. We did talk Russian (laughs) oligarchs earlier in the episode, but you know what I mean. We just don't really want to get into it. But we don't know if Wander Franco is going to play another game this season. Don't know. Ready to move move on? Yeah. In his career, we don't know. And when we do know, we'll tell you. All right. Uh, Next up on the standings is the Toronto Blue Jays. This is the one we lost. 91 and a half. I'm still kicking myself for going the over because I'm pretty sure I shit on them. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll go 92 wins because they still are pretty damn good. But they did go under. So we all lost that one. 89 and 73 record for those Toronto Blue Jays. If we look at those one-run games, if they were flipped, they would have gone 84 and 78. So even those 89 wins, you could consider them a little bit lucky. When we look at where they rank offensively and on the mound, OPS ranked 11th in Major League Baseball, starting pitching ERA third, and in the bullpen eighth. They were a great team, but unfortunately, there was a lot of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., double plays. George Springer wasn't quite the George Springer that we remember in Houston, right? Alejandro Kirk was a massive disappointment, especially when Blue Jays fans are watching Gabriel Moreno tear it up for the Arizona Diamondbacks. But there was a lot of positives. Kevin Gosman is such a beast. Every year, 316 ERA form, 237 strikeouts and 185 innings. He's one of my favorite pitchers. He's one of the best pitchers in the sport. Jose Brios bounces back. Unreal. Chris Bassett, just again, 200 innings at a 3-6. Yusei Kikuchi, how about him? And unfortunately, Alec Manoa didn't have a good year, but it didn't even matter. Because I thought one of the most underrated units in Major League Baseball was this Blue Jays bullpen. Jordan Romano, Eric Swanson, Tim Meza, Yimi Garcia. Right? These guys were excellent. Simmer and then they got in times. Say it again. Simber threw a billion times, right? A billion times. Oh, no, not not this year. Pardon. He threw a billion times in 22. My bad. Yeah. And then Hennessy's Cabrera as well came over uh, during the deadline as well. I just thought once these starters exited, the bullpen locked it down. But this offense, right? Ranked 11th in OPS. I didn't see it. I just thought this offense overall was pretty underwhelming. A lackluster start to his career in Canada from Dalton Varsho. Blatty, man. I mean, cost me so much money, but we don't have to talk about that. But he was ultimately underwhelming. But overall, I mean, a very solid season for the Blue Jays. Yeah. nine wins. Great year. Right. So for me, it was Kirk and Manoa as the two big disappointments. I thought Kirk was going to, year in and year out, be one of the better offensive catchers in baseball. And he was going to get better year by year defensively. Um That wasn't the case. He took a major step back this past year. And I agree. I think that the Jays may be kicking themselves for moving Moreno and not Kirk. Um, They weren't going to move Jansen because you don't get a Dart and Valshow adjacent player with Danny Jansen headlining it. Um, You got that from Moreno or Kirk. And, And I think I could sit here and argue that Kirk's value is very similar to Gabby Moreno last offseason. But now we know where the value is, and it's in the desert. Um, 
Barrios was my favorite story this year. Like that makes that contract palatable. If he had back-to-back bad years, I'd be sitting here like, are you sure you can swallow another six years of this, five years of this? And thankfully they don't have to do it. Um, But Manoa was the big disappointment for me. And and Kirk was the big disappointment. Vladdy, I agree. Like it stunk and, and the defensive struggles will tank the war big time, but he was still, you know, a positive piece offensively, but Varsho wasn't. And, and that was a tough one for me to stomach. And yeah, he still provides a ton of defensive value, but dude, you got to hit. And like, I, I think he will, I think he's going to be fine in 24, but the script was flipped on Toronto from what I was anticipating. I was thinking they were going to lead the league in 10-9 wins. Felt like they led the league in one nothing wins. It was unbelievable. You covered the negatives. I'll cover a couple of positives. Boba Shet, I am going to continue to tell you, the listener of the Just Baseball Show, how obsessed I am with Boba Shet. I truly think he is one of the best bat-to-ball guys that we have seen in the last decade. Another year hitting 300, slugging 475. I just don't even care. If the power comes, obviously I do. It makes him a better player, but he is so special at the plate. I truly think he is one of the best hitters in major league baseball. I really do think so. Another positive. How about Davis Schneider? How about him? <laughs> Davis Schneider slugging 600. Now it wasn't in a ton of plate appearances, right? A 141, but the dude was special and he was not even projected to be on this team. And he was such a fun story. You got to go listen to the episode. I think he was on the call-up with Aram where they broke down how he broke into the majors. His story, such a good guy. So fun to see him tear it up for the Toronto Blue Jays. Jack went through the negatives. I thought Bo Bichette was a huge positive. And I also thought that David Schneider was so much fun. I like but we it. move. We move to arguably one of the most disappointing teams by a win total projection, my New York Yankees, 94 and a half. Luckily, all three of us were aligned on the under. You hear that bias, people? New York Yankees under 94 and a half wins. All right, give me a break. If we flip those one-run games, they would have gone 88 and 74, so they still got a little unlucky, but it didn't matter. It resulted in not even making the playoffs, which is unacceptable for the New York Yankees. That's why they went and got Juan Soto. They finished with a negative run differential, minus 25. The offense was pitiful. 24th in OPS as a team, 29th in batting average. The only team that they had more hits than was the Oakland Athletics. On the starting pitching side, 18th in ERA. Luckily, The unit that kept them in the game was the bullpen that finished first in ERA. Carlos Rodon had a 6.85 ERA in 64 innings. Clark Schmidt, second on the team in ERA, 4.64. Nestor regressed, 63 innings, 4.97. Of course, Garrett Cole wins the Cy Young. Can't forget about him, but Aaron Judge going down kicking his feet into the Dodger Stadium wall, and the Yankees' offense absolutely disappeared. DJ LeMahieu, the bat speed, seems down. Anthony Rizzo, Jose Trevino, playing through injuries. Anthony Volpe somehow won a Gold Glove Award, still went 20-20 in his first year. I'm a big believer in him. You can look at the slash line and say, is he real? Yes. He's 21 years old. 
in the spot that Derek Jeter held. Arguably one of the hardest positions to fill in sports. I thought he did a great job. But Giancarlo Stanton, I mean, what a disaster. Slash 191, 275, 420. Just cannot happen. Glaber Torres turned in a good year. And we can go through all the bullpen names. They're all excellent. They were all extremely, extremely good. And we saw the rise of Jason Dominguez. But in short, even though that was about 35 minutes of me explaining, incredibly disappointing. Can I can I ask you something? Um, You think that hitting 209 with a 666 OPS and a 28% K rate is doing a good job? I think it's doing a good job for a 21-year-old who barely played in AAA when there is a lot of pressure on you. I think you demand more of the shortstop of the Yankees when the Yankees want to win the World Series. I think it's going to take a little while. Aaron Judge didn't hit the ground running when he was a rookie either. I think it takes a little while. The fact that he flashed these things. Do I have to remind you what Bobby Witt Jr. looked like in his first year when he was even older than Anthony Volpe? Yeah, like I agree with you. Um the defense helped like he was a three win player this year. He was a three, I think it was 3.3 on baseball reference. I don't know what the F war was for Volpe, but this guy played 159 games. You play 159, you accumulate 601 plate appearances. You're going to have a shot at the accumulation stats. There's the a short- lot of guys who played 159 games that didn't have 21 home runs and 24 steals as a shortstop. There's a lot of them. Yeah, I agree with you, but this cat hit 210 and he had a 670 OPS. Like from, from a WRC plus standpoint, do you have WRC plus in front of you? Cause I have an I 81 OPS plus. Uh, WRC plus he was at 84. Yeah. Like that's not good enough for the shortstop of the New York Yankees. I don't And did, I, think and did I tell you I was over the moon excited for no, him? You no, said, you thought he did what a great I said, job. There were flashes of um, what can be the shortstop for the next decade of the Yankees. He's sure. got power. He's got speed. He's a good defender. He just has to refine some things. And I don't blame him because he didn't have a lot of AAA time. And he was so young playing arguably the hardest position in Major League Baseball. So, no, I'm not so, going to get on him. I'm going to give him a second. So, let me say this. There were four guys that logged a plate appearance for the New York Yankees that had an OPS plus over 100, which is league average in OPS. Aaron Judge played 106 games. Glaber Torres, who had an amazing year. I love Glaber Torres, and I think this guy's trade value is there, but I think that the Yankees should look into extending him. And then it was eight games of Jason Dominguez and 22 games of Greg Allen. That's it. Judge, Glaber, the Martian, and Greg Allen, who's the other Martian. Those were the four guys with an OPS plus over 100. Fully with you. They sucked. I watched a lot of their games. It was horrible. I'm with you. You're like you're like bagging on me right now when I'm sitting here telling you I was so disappointed. I'm not bagging. I'm 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 stating empirical data on the New York Yankees, and Yankee fans view that as an insult, and I can't you, control that. You chose the empirical data. You know what? I want you to give me the positives of the New York Yankees this season before we move on to the Red Sox. Michael King is going to look great in Padre pinstripe. <laughs> God, I win. Um, Labor Torres bouncing back was a huge positive. The flash that you got from Jason Dominguez was massive. And Garrett Cole's the best pitcher in baseball. How about the bullpen where every single guy had an ERA below three, basically? Yeah, Wandy Peralta is really good. <laughs> Shut um, up. That was such a good bullpen. They finished first in ERA. Yeah, no, man. Like Ian Hamilton, Nick Ramirez, like Tommy Kane. Like, they were they were all good. The bullpen was amazing. good, but the problem is when you when you're down four two in the sixth when your starter leaves, does it matter? 
<laughs> it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. All right, let's uh, collectively shit on the Boston Red Sox. Just kidding. It was a tough year for the Red Sox, but they've been down this road before where they finish in last, and then the next year they win the World Series. I will never count out the Boston Red Sox. But the Boston Red Sox did finish 78-84. and 84. We all took the under on their win total at 78.5, and, and they finished with 78 wins. But if you flip some of those one-run games, 85-77. and 77. So they were a bit unlucky in terms of where they ranked. The offense was fine overall. Ninth in OPS, starting pitching, not so much. 22nd in ERA, 20th in bullpen ERA. How about Jaron Duran? This dude was incredible. Slash 295, 346, 482, eight bombs, 24 steals. Rafael Devers did his thing, obviously. Tristan Casas came on big in the second half. Masataki Yoshida was okay. He was a terrible defender, but the bat was still there. And he's a guy that, if I'm a Red Sox fan, I'm excited about next year. Obviously, Trevor Story comes in late. And then the pitching was so weird this year. Like, it was fine, but it was also bad, but it was also good. And the reason I say that is because, go ahead. It wasn't that good. I don't think it was that good. But it was, like, kind of good. Like, Nick Pavetta would sometimes throw starts where I'm like, holy shit, you're Nolan Ryan. (laughs) Brian Bayo flashed just excellency. Cutter Crawford there for a while was fantastic. And Chris Sale, overall, 4-3-0 and 102 innings. That's not good enough, but it wasn't like he was terrible. And then the bullpen. Jansen was still good. Chris Martin was unbelievable. 1-0-5 ERA in 51 innings. Josh Winkowski was good. John Schreiber was good. Bernardino was good. That's why I like this team next year. But they have to make a couple of big moves. But overall, this season... They didn't have the expectations that the Yankees did, so I can't call it a disappointment, right? They were a 78-and-a-half projected win total team, and they fell a half game under. So I don't know what to call their season. Would you call it disappointing? I don't even know. Yeah, I would call it disappointing because it's the Boston Red Sox, and I think that the Red Sox should hold themselves to a higher standard. I am going to take the positives from you. Chris Martin was a dog, Dog. but I think that Red Sox fans should be very content with what they saw from Brian Bayo. I think that Bayo showed them everything that I needed to see, that this guy is a future mid middle rotation starter for them. Uh, I don't think he's an ace. Chris Sale's ace days are behind him. Uh, glad that we got to watch 20 starts at Chris Sale because that's kind of been few and far between since he left Chicago. But um, I, I think that they are an ace signing away from having a formidable rotation. And... I say that and people will say, oh, like, how can you go sign an ace? There are ace type pitchers available in free agency every year. And the Red Sox should make your firsthand list of the five teams that can pay for an ace starting pitcher. They're the Boston Red Sox. Henry owns Liverpool. Go pay a starting pitcher. Go pay Yoshinobu Yamamoto, please. Please. My disappointment it wasn't the disappointment of the Red Sox. But when we were talking, the one reason where I was like, eh, I'll go under, but I don't love it. Was I thought, I just keep thinking Chris Sale is going to be better. I don't know, man. He just keeps getting banged up. He's 35 years old now. And it was a 4-3-0, right? But when I think about the Boston Red Sox, Chris Sale has to be that dude in order for you guys to keep going. He has to be. And he hasn't been. Over the past couple of seasons, I'm rooting for Chris Sale. He's one of my favorite pitchers to watch, but I have to put him in the disappointment bucket 
Because if I told Red Sox fans at the beginning of the season, yeah, Chris Sale's going to give you 100 innings at a 4-3. You'd be like, what? No, stop. But he did. So that's why he makes the disappointment bucket. Yeah, That'll do it for the American League East. Make sure to go get your Just Baseball merch. You can find that in the episode description. How about hit that big red button? Subscribe, YouTube, come on. And if you could rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, five stars, maybe even a written review. We'll be back on Wednesday. Hopefully you all enjoyed the Walker Bueller segment, talking about Otani, talking about Tyler O'Neill, talking about everything and the American League East. For Jack McMullen, I'm Peter Apple. And with that, thank you, everybody. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.